One day after lunch, Bao Yu set off for the garden with the volumes of Western Chamber under his arm, and sitting down on a rock underneath the peach tree which grew there beside the bridge, he took up the first volume and began, very attentively, to read the play. He had just reached the line, the red flowers in their hosts are falling, when a little gust of wind blew over and a shower of petals suddenly rained down from the tree above, covering his clothes, his book, and all the ground about him. He did not like to shake them off for fear that they got trodden underfoot, so collecting as many of them as he could in the lap of his gown, he carried them to the water's edge and shook them in. The petals bobbed and circled for a while on the surface of the water, before finally disappearing over the weir. When he got back, he found that a lot more of them had fallen while he was away. As he hesitated, a voice behind him said, What are you doing here? study, far from worldly din. Through rosy gauze, moonlight comes flooding in. Outside, a stork sleeps on moss-wrinkled rocks, and dew from the wellside trees, the crow's wings soaks. A maid, the great quilt's golden bird, has spread. Her languid master droops his raven head. Wine parched and sleepness, in the still night he cries, for tea, and soon Thick smoke and steam arise. Yeah, these are all like uh, sensuous, kind of like thickly descriptive, you know, covered in clouds and smoke and fog, a little bit hazy, a little bit unclear, but also, um, you know, these are poems of joy and pleasure, I think. Uh, these are like the golden days or the golden nights, let's say, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and we're seeing this uh, somehow kind of unity of natural imagery and human imagery, right? The the birds in this case. We have these multiple references to 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 birds. One of the things I like about this poem is that there is a similar image to uh, the summer poem, which is the moonlight coming in through the window. But in this case, it's presented quite sort of differently. So here in in Hawks, it's through rosy gauze, moonlight comes flooding in. And here the term used for like flooding is jin. And it's almost like something like kind of soaking or seeping in, you know? So it's, to me, doesn't feel like um, very stark. It's more like it kind of gradually just emerges into the room. It doesn't come straight through the window directly, you know? 
and and it matches the 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 mood of the previous line. So, you know, in in the Hawks, it's in red rue study, far from worldly din, and in the Chinese, Jiang uh, Yun Xuan, which is red rue study in this case, Jiang being a kind of red, Yun being this rue. It's a kind of plant, and and Xuan being like a building, Berlin, whatever. Uh, so Jiang Yun Xuan Li. So inside it. Uh, mm. means kind of like uh, to end at an end and xuanhua mm. is kind of like ruckus noise racket that kind of thing mm. so you're imagining this is a this is a peaceful little study what does hawks have to be cut off from to be uh to be distant from you know I, hawks has worldly din you know the very le- next line is also really interesting um and so here the moonlight is described as gui uh, po, which means more literally something like cassia uh, spirit. Hmm. I mean, there's this whole there's this kind of tradition of the like uh, the bipartite uh, spirit in the I guess in the Chinese cultural tradition, the hun po, where your po is the part of your um, soul which is supposedly attached to your body and the the hun is the part that's detached more like the soul in our sense uh and so when you dream you're it's like it's usually your hun which goes goes about like literally um traversing space and time in, in dreaming and so this like the the gui po would be the cassia soul and so here to return to the uh you know, uh, Chang uh, having her palace on the moon. It was also said that at this palace, the the primary tree and you know the the, the primary flower as well would be that of the of the cassia or the laurel tree, right? Yeah, the gui. And 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 this has come up before, like um, when Bao Yu goes off to school. One of the things that Dai Yu says to him is to wa- wish him this like stock response, which is like find the cassia branch in the frog palace or something yeah yeah uh, Chengong Jigui. yeah uh which is to say like in metaphoric sense like i hope you earn the highest marks you know i hope you mm-hmm. i hope you ace i hope you ace it basically but right, it literally means right. yeah it's like it's a reference to the moon isn't it right uh yeah it's it's, it's you know there's there's like maybe like a thousand different ways to refer to the moon um <laughs> yeah. But this one's nice because in the next, in the, in the winter poem, he references uh, Mei Hun, uh, like plum flower spirit, mm-hmm. right? And so the Gui Po and the Mei Hun are a nice kind of um, aesthetic compliment. But as you said, it's in this case, the it's the Hun rather than the Po. So it's that other part of yeah, the spirit, right? right. Which is the, the, the Hun is what, what goes dreaming. And, and that'll be relevant in a second. So... The natural imagery here is, I think, also very pretty. You know, this. Um, mm-hmm. um, so we see in the courtyard. Um, in the Chinese, it's tai suo shi. So tai is a kind of like moss, mossy or like wart type, like um, plant. Suo is the word for to lock. But really, if you imagine like locked up in chains, kind of entangled. Um, yeah. And then shi is the stone. So the stone is locked up in the moss you know the moss is fully kind of got its got its hooks into the stone and then it goes on to say wen zhong shui he so the the one is kind of like 
seams or cracks or that sort of thing. So we talked before how in like um, in the wood for the coffin of Qian Shi, it's this incredibly fine wood, and there are these kind of it's almost like a marbly type effect. Those lines of like like you would find in marble, those are kind of one. Zhong in this case is I think like to appear, and then Shui He is um, the a sleeping crane bird basically kind of like a crane heron something like that and so in in hawks he's saying a stork sleeps on moss wrinkled rocks but my impression was that almost that the in some way the 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 pattern that the moss leaves upon the rocks resembles a sleeping crane um but i guess that's a another example somehow of the multitude of different re- meanings you can get from the text yeah i don't have any other specific comments except that yeah these are great poems uh they're they're enjoyable to to work through. Yeah, I like the I very much like the images here. And so the the last poem is the the winter poem. Um, maybe if you'll allow me, I I, I like to read both uh, the hawk's rendering and this new rendering I, I've kind of I've cooked up this week. Uh, just to maybe to, mm-hmm. what, what do you think to get a sense for like how you can interpret the same thing differently? Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, so let's do the hawks first. Begin with the the master, okay? Uh, <laughs> so winter. Midnight in winter, plum with bamboo sleeps. While one missed Indian rugs, his vigil keeps. Only a crane outside is to be found. No orioles now, low white flowers mask the ground. Chill strikes the maid's bones through her garments fine. Her fur-clad master's somewhat worse for wine. But in tea-making mysteries deeply skilled, she has with with new-swept snow the kettle filled. Um, And so, I mean, my own rendering was partly just as a way for me to take the poem seriously and not, like, assume I know, you know what I mean? But uh, I I think there's some things that are kind of obscured in, in the Hawks rendering that I think hearing a separate rendering um, could benefit us. Uh, so here's yeah. here's my kind of the same same poem, different translator. Okay. So, um, winter night improvisation. Plum flower spirits dreaming bamboo dreams. Third watch already. Under a brocade blanket and goose feather quilt, sleep is yet to come. In the shadow of the pine, only a crane the courtyard reveals. Though pear blossoms blanket the ground, no oriole can be heard. A poem's yearnings in jade sleeve tucked away. The slave girl chilled, her master in golden sables, tolerance for wine slight. She likes, nevertheless, to wait on him and refine her tea technique, sweeping up fresh snow, just in time, coming to a boil. And so... Yeah, you know, it's same idea. Uh, there's obviously you can. You, it's a little bit different though, um, and that difference is kind of you know again is rooted in the way that you know this can be these characters, these words can be interpreted differently. It's quite a lot different, isn't it? And so, in the first line, the uh, the Mei Huan that we talked about, the the plum flower spirits. Uh, then it's mm-hmm. Zhu Meng. And so it's the question of like, what's, 
what's sleeping, who's sleeping, how are they sleeping. I interpret that as, you know, as if the spirits were dreaming of, uh, of bamboo, right? That's one way to do it. You can say mm-hmm. the bamboo is dreaming, the bamboo is sleeping. Uh, there's different ways to understand that. Well, you said before, right, that Huan, this part of the soul, this is the wandering part of the soul that, that goes a-wandering when you're mm-hmm. asleep, right? So to me, Mei Huan, it sounds like, yeah, the, the, the Mei, so it's the plum tree, I guess, is asleep, and its soul is off-wandering. Mm. And likewise, the Zhu, the bamboo, Meng, is, is dreaming. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's that deep nighttime where even the plants are asleep kind of thing. And, and I mean, I would say the underlying idea is that, you know, this is Bao Yu. And so basically all the other, uh, you know, the 12 maidens of Jinling are all asleep, uh, except for him, right? And it's the third watch, which kind of goes back to the, the first poem where instead of the frog sound, it's actually another kind of another term for a, a late watch, you know? Mm. And then we have the same description of these beautiful uh, quilts and rugs. In this one, he, he hasn't fallen asleep. He's been unsuccessful. You know, sleep has not, is yet to materialize. Yeah. And so it's funny you mentioned the frog sounds in the first poem because there the phrase is ting wei zhen. So here's, but not yet real. So like you hear it, but you don't believe that mm. it's real somehow. And here the phrase is shui wei cheng. Yes. So sleep, not yet. Cheng is somehow like achieved, you know, mm. becoming complete, something like that. Uh, and then you have this question of the, what does Hawks have here? I, I have it as, I was imagining, you know, uh, a uh, some kind of pine tree who's casting a, mm-hmm. a, a massive shadow over a courtyard. Um, and all you can see mm-hmm. is a single crane. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but this this image, the song ying, the, the, the shadow mm-hmm. of the pine tree, um, is a recurrent motif in, in Chinese poetry. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are examples in poetry from multiple different dynasties. Um, so th- there's actually one which is quite similar to this, which is from the Tang poet uh, Bai Juyi, where he says... Song Ying, so the the shadow of the pine tree, Guo Chuan, so passes through the window, mm-hmm. something like that, and then Mian Shi Jue, or rather Mian Shi Jiao, probably. Um, so just beginning to sleep, something mm-hmm. like that, basically. So as the pine tree passes through the window, you just begin to achieve sleep, and and so there's quite a similarity between that line and the one, the second line of the Baoyu poem, where it's you know. Whereas in Baijui's poem, he's just falling asleep. In this one, he's yet to, he's yet to find it. Okay, yeah. Actually, I'm looking at the poem that you're, you're referencing, and actually, apparently, uh, Mao, like the Mao Shi, is a reference to five to seven a.m. Uh, so it's it's a li- it's a little bit later. Oh, right. That's very similar to the um, the time that we were referencing before. So there's a general like theme of like you know Bao Yu being unable to sleep. And uh, he's and composing night, definitely, uh, yeah. poetry in the stillness of the night, which is, you know, a good time to compose poetry. <laughs> um, yeah. Um. The next line is kind of a uh, kind of a fun. It's it's almost like a riddle a little bit. So the the uh, 
in the next line we have this image of the pear blossoms uh, blanketing the ground but uh, mysteriously uh, no no oriole can be heard uh, so we get the oriole image again um, which I think might be a kind of an advanced reference to uh, to Ying Ying Drun, which is referenced later, um, kind of the precursor to uh, Shang Ji, uh, the the romance of the Western Chamber, that we saw in the title. Um, but the, I, the the reason that the you know the Oriole is not here is that this is just a metaphor, uh, and actually, the, the the pear flowers. Maybe this is. What do we think? Do we think this is snow? This must be the the white snow, yeah. which it seems in the yeah. night as if it were uh, a bed of flowers, uh, blanketing or or covering the ground. Yeah, that's 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 precisely the image I have, and and what presumably when the normally when the pear trees are blossoming, it would already be springtime, and you would expect to hear birds. Right. Uh, so it's kind of a, a like a, a a winter hallucination of, uh, of 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 the springtime. What I find interesting there is that it's an inversion of the way that you would normally think of these things. Like normally you would use actual blossom, I guess, to represent something else, rather than having something else stand in for blossom. I I, I don't know. It it seems huh. in some way to me to kind of flip the. The usual way you would make these kind of analogies, it, it flips it on his head. Yeah, maybe you would you would describe a a bed of flowers as like a akin to a snow covering, a snow covered field, maybe. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. in this case, it's a snow covered field which is akin to a, a bed of flowers. Yeah. And so, yeah, that that's that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next line is referring to. I'm imagining this is probably a reference to Shiran, right? Who, who's serving yeah. him late at night. We had a, we had a reference to, uh, to Musk two poems back, and I believe his other maid. And maybe this one is, is uh, Shiran, uh, who, has, who seems to have a tucked in her sleeve, either a poet or, or the, uh, the emotions associated with the poem, that kind of thing. The indication is she has like since cooled down a bit. Which I think would be a reference both to you know the winter, the winter weather, but also a reference to uh, her maybe her romantic uh, inclinations and aspirations have been sort of um, sublimated, right? Yeah, they've been they've definitely cooled. Whether whether she is the one to have cooled them or whether Baoyu has cooled towards her, there is kind of a, a kind of a maybe implicit or more or less explicit reference to the, the contrast between you know. She's wearing this green or bluish green dress, which is maybe uh, like beautiful, but not necessarily appropriate for the weather, uh, especially if she's going outside and um, gathering snow or, or getting snow that's been recently gathered. Uh, whereas like uh, Bao Yu is, you know, he's drunk or he's at least like uh, tipsy. And he's wearing this like magnificent golden sable. You can imagine a, a kind of like a thick fur coat of some sort. And then yeah, the the we finish with this like rather lovely image of um, her making tea from fresh swept snow, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and this is because she in the in the second to last line, 知识名, so 知 is to know. 
sure is like literally to try but here in the context it's like knowledge of like the techniques of mm -hmm. making tea right yeah and then and then being this tea right it has to be the right temperature you know if you want to get out the the proper fragrances from like various you know depending on what what strand uh you're consuming right yeah uh there's a whole kind of ritual okay so he's done these he's he's come up with these poems and for a year or so at least it seems he's uh yeah very happy as you said before these are these are the golden days for him and his poems attract quite a lot of um acclaim right we don't know whether this is necessarily true acclaim or simply as we said before because he's the the scion of a wealthy family whether this is simply people just trying to curry favor but before long people are copying his poems um and memorizing on, them yeah memorizing them reciting them <laughs> and and asking him for requests for more poems for specimens of calligraphy for paintings and for inscriptions and i guess this is exciting at first but then it begins to become a bit wearing right mm -hmm. he gets weary of it and yeah he becomes kind of listless doesn't he, he didn't like nothing really makes him happy um until until what so what's the cure well our if we remember Tea Leaf, uh, yeah. who played a prominent role in, he he featured pretty prominently in Chapter Nine. Yeah, in the schoolroom fight scene. And then again, uh, am I mistaken? He was the one who also got caught having sex with another maid. Yeah, in I think Chapter Nineteen or Twenty, something like that. Yeah, his cure is stacks of stacks and stacks of porn. <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, I'd say not, like not really, not really, but you know, supplemental uh, reading materials. I'd say indeed, indeed. What well, he he goes out and buys these uh, kind of slightly more racy, lowbrow um, mm -hmm. novels and plays for Bayou to read, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it's kind of this, it's kind of this romantic material. Um, and Bao Yu is uh, really taken by all of it, I think. Um, mm. Even, you know, he's specifically told not to bring them into the garden, which has a bit of a, you know, like, you know, this is like the Garden of Eden and you're not to uh, partake yeah. of the tree of knowledge, right? And so he brings them all into the garden and some of the, the less racy uh, items he keeps by his bed. Uh, kind of yeah. hid, hidden the others somewhere. he keeps yeah the others he keeps hidden so yeah exactly mm -hmm. and then you imagine it's kind of tucked away at the back of a cupboard or, mm -hmm. or something maybe like a drawer with like a hidden section in it or something so that people can't find them <laughs> okay <laughs> or inside of another book maybe with the, the yeah. binding or and, like, and tea leaf yeah. basically he knows from bitter experience that he'll be blamed if Bayou gets discovered uh, as we saw mm -hmm. when they decided to go off and see Aroma on her day off when she was with her family even though it was at Bayou's instigation, Tea Leaf still got blamed for it. Uh, uh, and in this case, he uses this phrase, which I think is just kind of worth commenting on briefly, which is, uh, he says, in the Hawks, he says, I'll be I'll be in real trouble if he does it. But the Chinese phrase is, trubiliao, doljutzol. So trubiliao means can't, fin like, eat, can't finish eating, basically. Like, if you're not able to eat it all. Doljutzol uh, means, like, take it away. So essentially, like if you can't finish, if you can't eat the whole amount, you have to take the rest away, which is to say, mm. 
you have to bear the consequences of something yeah, in, in a in a in a in a manner of speaking um mm. um so yeah if if Bayou gets in trouble two e will have to eat eat the shit sandwich or <laughs> or however we want to put it you know, okay you know oh, okay um, so what are some of these books did you say you'd found some of the some of the answers of of, of what they were i believe at least if most of these are still extant mm -hmm. um but i didn't do too much research into them uh what did you well so he mentions a couple of uh what are known as unofficial histories uh the chinese is um why zhuan so zhuan is like the recorded history mm -hmm. of someone's life and calling it why which means outside means essentially that it's in some way um yeah not currently accepted as part of the uh, of kind of, as kind of canon i suppose we might say it's non-canonical like the un the, the the director's cut the uh yeah or yeah the unofficial kind of uh <laughs> bloopers real <laughs> no 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 not exactly <laughs> no, not exactly, no. Um, the secret history almost yeah the it's the like unauthorized biography secret history yeah it's exactly that secret history um uh, because because so much history was official you know so much written yes. history was decreed by uh you know the emperor or imperial palace right so i mean so w actually one of the great novels of uh, of a similar age actually to this novel is called um rulin waishu so rulin is like the 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 scholars the the confucian scholars and waishu is again like why being the same one being like unofficial external so it's like the unofficial history of the scholars basically and it's a kind of a a novel that satirizes the the examination system i suppose or like the scholarly systems of the time um anyway these are all unofficial histories of um various female figures various women in chinese history so there are two sisters um Zhao Fei Yan and Zhao Hede who were sisters and they were uh one was the wife and the other was the consort of the um the Hancheng emperor so Han dynasty so it's um you're talking about 200 BC to 200 AD and then we have one of Wu Zetian who was um she was a uh, the only I think official empress at any point in Chinese history various women have held power in like a more or less official capacity but she was the only one i think who's ever known as like a uh, empress and then the last one is the unofficial history of um yang guifei who is um the famously beautiful consort of the uh xuanzong emperor of the tang dynasty um who tragically she was blamed uh for uh this very violent uprising and was strangled but yeah, these are unofficial histories, and we we gather they're probably kind of fairly racy. And so among these is uh, what we mentioned before: uh, the romance of the Western Chambers, the Shishangji. Yeah. And so Bao Yu has one of these in his arms one day, and he's going down. It's kind of a nice, another beautiful scene, right? He he's um he set off for Drench Blossoms Weir with a copy of the Western Chamber under his arm. And he's a, he just sat down on a rock underneath a peach tree, you know, beside the bridge. <laughs> and he's going to read the uh, read the play. 
And, and do we do we know the 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 story of the Western Chamber, the 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 romance of the Western Chamber, a record of the Western Chamber? We might say it's a com- almost like analogous to a kind of Chinese Romeo Romeo and Juliet, maybe. Not not exactly, but in that it deals with a young couple sexually consummate their relationship despite the disapproval of the despite the lack of parental approval we might say Mm -hmm. what's interesting is there seem to be two different stories there's the earlier one you mentioned which is the biography of ying ying and then Mm -hmm. there's the western chamber which was based on that and one of them Mm -hmm. it seems to end on a happy note in that they they kind of get retrospective approval uh and in the other i think it ends on quite a tragic note Anyway, so he what happens when he's reading it? And so they, uh, he had just reached the line, the red flowers in their hosts are falling, when there is a, like a little gust of wind, uh, and you see, you know, uh, showers of petals also, you know, falling down. So what he's reading is, you know, perfectly complementing his scene because in each you have you know the the falling flowers mm-hmm. he he has a delicate sort of uh sentiment and so he doesn't want the the flowers that have fallen to be in the hawks to be trodden underfoot uh and so he begins collecting them on his own of his own accord he's planning to uh he's just released them into the edge of the water the idea being that the water will uh will send them off gracefully yeah. When all of a sudden a, vo- a voice behind him arises, you know, what are you doing? And of course, this is our this is the famous scene where uh, he's not the only one enjoying the flowers, or he's he's not the only one uh, concerned about the fate of flowers uh, in this particular moment, because uh, it's it's none other than Dayu behind him, uh, and she's very iconically. You'll see this in a lot of the pictures of where she's depicted carrying. Uh, a kind of, um, I imagine like a scarf made into a bag at the end of a, lo- a long pole. Mm-hmm. And, and and at the end there is, um, that's where she's like, she's basically raking up the flowers because she's also concerned with their well-being. Uh, but she has a different sort of uh, strategy, right? So what's what's her strategy instead? Well, I mean, Bao Yu's idea was like, okay, well, the water will uh, send them away, and that'll be a, a, a fitting, you know, fate for the fallen flowers. Yeah, and they'll also they'll look, you know, if if you imagine flower petals drifting along on the surface of a of a kind of gentle stream, that I think is a rather beautiful image, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So it carries them away, but it's also nice to look at. But then uh, this is where. Uh, Dayu has this idea that, well, you know, if you think about it, this stream, it might be pure now, but it's going to, um, it's where it's going. It's going to connect with the houses. Uh, and these are the, this is where, you know, you can imagine people maybe uh, sending garbage and other things into the stream to be, to be sent away. And now all of a sudden, you know, the flowers are amidst filth and impurity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her kind of flower method uh is she's um she's preparing a grave for the flowers so she's burying the flowers and this is sort of um maybe her most famous gesture as a character yeah so she wants to sweep them all up and bury them in soil right yeah uh which is really interesting um and that's definitely you can kind of analyze that in different ways um and of course she like she identifies with the flowers in a way that 
you know, Bao Yu could never even, you know, fully comprehend, right? So, so what, he decides that's a good idea and, and helps her, right? Helps her. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he's very amiable, you know, <laughs> he's not gonna, she knows, she's a, she's the expert, right? <laughs> Can I ask you, what, what does the, this whole discussion of flower petals and things, what, what does it mean to you? Like, what's your understanding of the, I guess, symbolism of it? Well, I, I mean, on the obvious level, it's like she uh, she identifies with the flowers and she's worried about her own sort of, her own fate. Mm. What's going to happen to her as, you know, she gets older and maybe her her, her beauty withers as, you know, is, is inevitable for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what's going to happen to her? Will she be taken care of? I think that that's true. I think that it's a multi-layered kind of metaphor. But for me, there was like a a certain sexual element to it um, in that, okay, what's happening? He's sitting there on a rock by himself, presumably unseen by anyone. And he's reading this kind of like slightly naughty, racy text. Um, and he gets to one particular kind of um, exciting bit when suddenly there's this like bursting forth of um <laughs> of petals and i mean i i like i don't want to i don't want to like i suppose like cheapen it in any way and suggest this is like a literal ejaculation metaphor but like it comes across that way a bit you know and then like okay well he decides that he has to kind of like clean it up and like where are all the petals they're kind of like tucked into his clothes you know like they're all okay. kind of caught up in his clothes, um, um, and then like just as he's doing it, who should appear but like the object of his desire, you know? Um, mm-hmm. um, and her tone is accusatory, like, "What are you doing?" What like you know? There's a kind of there's a kind of like shame associated with it somehow. I mean, if you want to extend that metaphor, you could you we could talk about you know what does it mean then to to bury the these um, the matter that's burst forth right i think it's valid um i'm sure like i'm sure it's gonna uh, offend some who, who want to leave those uh stones unturned but mm. uh i i think that's a totally valid um interpretation and mm. in the in the psychoanalytic tradition there's a strong correlation between uh like like pregnancy metaphors and and burial and death as is kind of this um complex yeah interrelationship and i suppose there's a also a very on the other side very clear connection between flowers and genitalia mm-hmm. and reproduction and especially I mean, red flowers i mean it's kind of a little yeah. a little too on the nose almost so, <laughs> um okay so i i think i think, I think the audience <laughs> I've ruined everything um no sorry it's like it is a very very like um iconic scene and i don't want to like like i was saying this is just one potential interpretation i'm not saying it's necessarily the correct one yeah like just with the poems i I think it's rich because it lends itself toward uh, multiple levels of meaning and signification uh there's there's a funny moment here where uh uh, Dayu's like, what, what's that book you're reading? And he's like, oh, it's it's you know, you know the, the doctrine of the mean and the greater learning, yeah, uh, which um, is like the the least convincing 
know, like clear, like the two books he would be least likely to be reading. Yeah. Um, so, so we talked in an earlier chapter about how that you have this idea of like in Confucianism the like uh, the four classics, right? The four mm-hmm. books, and two of them are those exactly: the Doctrine of the Mean, Zhong Yong, and the Great Learning, uh, Da Xue. Um, and how Bao Yu's father tells him that he must be reading these books instead of other ones. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, you're right. It's There are no books less likely for him to be reading. Um, yeah. It's as if you, you know, somebody somebody finds you with, um, yeah, like a porn mag and you try and pass it off as like the Bible or like the, um, who's that? Um, uh, yeah, say it's like Plato or something. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, who's that roman emperor who was the um um philosopher marcus aurelius yeah oh it's the meditations of the marcus meditations aurelius. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so of course this is unconvincing um and so he hands her the book she starts reading she gets pretty into it right and before long she's read several acts of the of the play and they're kind of like the words are sort of swimming around in her head um you know, uh, Bao Yu quotes a line. Uh, okay, so in the Hawks, the line he quotes reads as follows. It's, How can I, full of sickness and of woe, withstand that face which kingdoms could overthrow? And so that's another, you know, a reference to, what do you think, like Yang Guifei, right? Or just any, any sort of, this whole tradition of these great beauties whose beauty was... Um, uh, so impressive that, like you know, it was like almost a threat to the the peace and order of the of the whole empire, right? Yeah, the the phrase the phrase he uses is "千国倾城" uh, the Mao. Mm-hmm. So Qing we we mentioned before in one of the poems is like t- to topple mm-hmm. over. So and the Mao is like face or appearance. So it's a face or appearance that could topple kingdoms, topple cities. I think that the, probably the closest analogy or like analog in English is the idea of a face that launches a thousand ships, which is the way that H- Helen of Troy is mentioned. Right, you right. Know, it's that same kind of idea. This is one of those moments where uh, like all of a sudden Dayu loses it. <laughs> you know? uh, she She's so prone to defensiveness, mm-hmm. right? She thinks he's mocking her. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit strange because it's it's clear that he like isn't. I, I I mean, I think she's just sensitive to any reference to the potential that there might be something between them at this point. Yeah. Well, there's just a really great description of her. Um, these there are these two phrases describing how just before her her kind of anger erupts, she's described as. So Mei is eyebrows. And what sort of eyebrows? So Tsu is like kind of to frown. And it's saying seeming to frown and not frowning, you know? So there's this like, um, it's almost like, a, in my mind, it's like a variety of different expressions passing over her face. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea is she's already, it's kind of like, you know, if you if you're always frowning, how do people know mm. if you're actually frowning? Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. And so she's yeah. frowner, right? And that's uh, it's like uh, the same kind of like furrowing your brow, yeah. kind of a, a constant state of uh, consternation. 
Yeah, and and then there's a there's a similar phrase where she, uh, 瞪了一双 so stared with a pair of, uh, 似睁非睁的眼 so、uh-huh. 眼 being eyes and、yeah. 睁 being to open. So again, it's the same structure. It's like seeming to be open and not yet open. So she's kind of looking at him somehow askance. Yeah, like giving him the look, basically. I almost imagine, you know, that meme with、uh, Fry from, <laughs> yeah,、uh, yeah, from, from Futurama. Futurama. <laughs> a yeah. little bit of that kind of、uh, yeah. suspicion and <laughs> disbelief.、Um, and then there's t- like two other images which are, are kind of good. She's referred to as having a tao si dai nu. So tao si is like the cheeks, basically. Right, so Taosu is like peachy cheeks.、Mm-hmm. So like her cheeks are turning peach colored. So they're you know in the way that peaches they have everything from like bright red through to kind of pinkish. Like her color is rising to her cheeks, and then Dainu is like carrying anger,、mm-hmm. you know. And then she's also described as Bo Mian. So her whole Bo I think is、um, kind of resentment here. Mian is face,、mm-hmm. and then Han Chun. Han is like to contain to carry, and Chun is anger. So you can see that her face is like. Initially, she was enraptured by it, but now she feels like he was playing a trick on her, and you can see the anger building up in her face. And actually, that that character、uh, Chen, it's what appeared in the poem, right? Wei Wo Chen, yeah, yeah, Wei Wo Chen. And so it's yeah that that like that f- the worried flower face that we saw in the poem, which is also an expression that appears pretty often in、uh, in the Tang poetry. Is kind of reiterated here. Yeah, absolutely. So it makes explicit what we discussed as being implicit before、mm-hmm. that there's some sense of the the flower's anger being related to、uh, Dayu's feelings for Baoyu. Right. It, it's hard to be a flower, you know, because you have this moment of glory, but it doesn't. This is kind of what Bataille was talking about back in that essay we read a, a while back, where you know、um, flowers don't always age. With the same grace as, like, a you know, make a falling leaf might.、Mm. Um, that's kind of the,、uh, I guess,、uh, yeah, that's the,、uh, the the challenge of being implicated in this symbolic system. So she gets very angry and she threatens to run off and tell on him for、yeah. reading these smutty <laughs>、uh-huh. books. And how does he respond? He, he does his usual thing where he like has a like a, a ridiculous sort of、um, like a insanely grandiose. Gesture, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Overblown was the phrase that came、yeah. to mind for me. And he's like, "Well, I like you know, if I if I've wronged you in the slightest degree,"、um, in the Hawks it says, "May I fall into the water and be eaten up by an old bald-headed turtle."、Uh, <laughs> uh, the 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 next thing he says, I think, is kind of interesting because he says. When you have become a great lady and gone at last to your final resting place, I shall become the stone turtle that stands in front of your grave and spend the rest of eternity carrying your tombstone on my back as a punishment. <laughs> and that that was interesting to me because yes, of course, it's ridiculous and and、um, hyperbolic as a way to apologize, but it somehow is parallel with the the idea of Dayu being the human form of this like heavenly crimson、mm. pearl flower. Who, in thanks for the magical stone watering her and giving her life, she takes human form to like accompany him, and she will repay that that watering、mm-hmm. with a lifetime of tears. And now somehow Bao Yu himself will be repaying her by being a 
the kind of essentially like a, a grave okay, a gravestone yeah. for her foundation and that kind of fits right because he's he's a, he's associated somehow with the stone so him being a stone in eternity when his life is over yeah stone turtles all the way down <laughs> um anyway this this proclamation is enough to i mean she just finds it so laughable she forgets her anger instantly mm-hmm. and she actually goes on to quote in, in a similarly uh exaggerated fashion a lo- another line that she just read from the play and this goes back and forth for a little while and so Bao Yu has to leave now and we're left solely this is maybe the own the first like Daiyu monologue we've had so far she kind of has her own like little mm. moment here yeah it's kind of kind of cool right and she she's left by herself in the garden and she's feeling sort of uh sad and maybe uh languid uh dispirited a bit but also still you know in in this romantic mood and at this moment the the child actors are off in the distance and they're practicing lines from the peony pavilion the other uh Mm. artwork referenced in the title that we mentioned at the outset of this episode yeah so do, do you know much about the peony pavilion yeah, you know, you know, it's. I always kind of thought of the Peony Pavilion as itself a bit like a, a Romeo and Juliet kind of story, um, but it's a little bit different in that, like, there's like a much greater degree of like mysticism mm-hmm. in it, or like uh, mystical, magical elements. It's funny you mention Romeo and Juliet because the author Tang Xianzu was a Ming Dynasty poet, and so he's a, approximately a contemporary of Shakespeare. And so the daughter of an imperial official is wandering in a garden and falls asleep. And she has an intensely passionate dream about a man she's never seen before. And then when she wakes, she becomes like terribly lovesick with this man who she doesn't know. And she wastes away and dies. And then once she descends to the underworld, the king of the underworld decides that it's fated that she and this man should be together. So she returns to earth and appears to him in a dream and orders him to dig up her corpse. And so he does so, he digs up her corpse and resurrects her. And this obviously creates a bit of <laughs> like ill will among all of her family. Um, and, and so for a time, I think he's captured and tortured by her father. But then it turns out that he, he discovers that he's passed the imperial examinations um and receive the emperor's blessing and so everyone decides he's actually okay after all i mean when you describe it like that it sounds like a, a kind of like a crazy story i mean <laughs> like the the maddest thing happened to me it's a weird it's like it's yeah it's half uh romeo and juliet half like hp lovecraft or something it's very like <laughs> what, what? <laughs> the title is uh mu dan ting uh so mu dan being a a peony right it's a kind of flower and ting being a, mm. a pavilion and actually there's one passing like really passing reference to this in an earlier chapter so the first time they're going around the garden it says like just after they have their discussion about what is and is not like natural what constitutes mm. nature they then go off and they walk and pass through various parts of the garden including going through a peony pavilion before passing on to other places mm. There's no kind of other mention of it, but I suppose we didn't pick up on the time that this carried some kind of greater, I suppose, 
symbolism. Okay. You know, foreshadowing maybe. And, and so she hears a few lines. Um, maybe I'll, I'll read the lines that she overhears, which seem to speak to her own concerns and her own uh, situation. Right. Uh, and so the lines are as follows. Here, multiflorate splendor blooms forlorn, mist broken fountains, moldering walls. And the bright air, the brilliant morn, feed my despair. Joy and gladness have withdrawn to other gardens, other halls. And then she hears another line. Because for you, my flower-like fair, the swift years like the waters flow. And then, I have sought you everywhere, and at last I find you here, in a dark room full of woe. And so you can just yeah. see, like, uh, this, this, this scene is kind of escalating, and her emotions are uh, snowballing, but like uh, flowerballing, maybe, if <laughs> to mix a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, she's described, she's described as xin dong shen yao. So, like, her heart is racing, mm-hmm. and her spirit is shaking, mm-hmm. almost. And then she 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 thinks of a line from an old poem, uh, and, and actually I found the poem. <laughs> it's a it's an old poem called uh, "Spring Evening." So Chun Xi, written by a Tang poet named uh, Tui Tu, who I wasn't too familiar with. Um, and and the line goes, "Relentlessly the waters flow." the flowers fade. So again, the water becomes this like this menacing almost image that's, uh, you know, taking the flower away against its will, so to speak. And so is that why, is that unconsciously why Dayu doesn't want him to put the petals in the water? Right, maybe, I mean, yeah, it's... Without without knowing it, she, perhaps even even before this, felt some connection between like the water flowing away and the the petals withering mm. somehow and, and you know maybe the, the flow of time you know like her time is is limited like uh like 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 time is usually like metaphorically connected to water and so she's feeling like kind of this you know being trapped in this fleeting moment that's being wasted maybe mm. right mm-hmm there's also a, a line from the last Tong emperor, who he, he falls into the camp of uh, good at poetry, bad at governing. <laughs> and so it's a, a poem by uh, Li Yu, which in the Hawks is, The blossoms fall, the water flows, the glory of the spring is gone, in nature's world as in the human one. And so that, that kind of... Yeah, that re- recapitulates the, mm. the themes. And in that second one, it's a sense of like, uh, actually in both really, there's this feeling of it being relentless and something that you completely can't control. So in the first one, the the idea is the water flows and the flowers wither. And both are wuqing. So like almost mm. ruthless, without without emotion. In the Hawks, it's relentlessly, mm. and there is that feeling of that, but it's it's also somehow like emotionlessly, pitilessly, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then and in the other, it's uh, when the water flows and the flowers fall, spring departs. You know, so so the end of spring is when the when 
if you imagine, I guess, the snow begins to melt and so the rivers become more mm. engorged um, and full and the flowers fall from the, you know, that's when spring ends. And and again, there's the feeling of just as the, just as the seasons turn. And maybe there's a sense for the, uh, this kind of concern over the, like, multiplicity of flowers, right? And so when there's so many flowers, no one flower seems uni- unique anymore. And, and all of a sudden, the whole, the whole stream... And so she actually, at this moment, returns to the line from the Western Chamber, which Pao Yu had been reading before. So it kind of comes full circle. And it returns to this idea, mm-hmm. you know, as flowers fall and the flowing stream runs red. And, and then the next line actually is given here. A thousand sickly fancies crowd the mind. Uh, and actually, if you think about the flowing stream running red, it's actually suddenly a, a fairly morbid image, right? It's I, I imagine like you know like flowing blood, maybe, right? Did you get that that sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 was definitely there was like a, a a kind of bloody image, definitely. And so, like occasionally, uh, Dai Yu gets a little goth, right? <laughs> and this is her, you know, like she, she doesn't like wear it on her sleeve in, in the same way. Maybe she's not wearing like black lipstick but like uh she is burying flowers so i mean this is a a little bit morbid and so at this uh, final moment in the chapter uh uh who's alone you know uh, she she's tapped on the shoulder and that's kind of like the cliffhanger for this chapter uh we're going to see in the next chapter uh one of our favorite at least one one of my favorite characters whom we haven't discussed that much recently is going to kind of reemerge. I'm looking forward to that, actually. Any any final thoughts? What do you, what do you think? I I think just to recap to what we said, or to loop back to what we said at the start, this is this is definitely us emerging into the the next the the next phase of the plot. We're getting properly into the thick of it now, and here we are at quite I think rapid pace, beginning to see the the development of the that kind of incipient relationship between. Uh, Bao Yu and mm-hmm. Dai Yu, right? You know, they're. I think they're both going through like that kind of teenage angst, um, where they're very hormonal and all of your feelings are incredibly intense, and uh, you know you're discovering so much about the world and yourself, and and so yeah, everything between them is very. I I don't know exactly. How about you? What are you What are you thinking as we close the chapter? Yeah, I mean, I'm just glad we uh, we we made it through a, a really like. A really awesome, I think, really important chapter, um, and I'm looking forward to uh, these kind of this part of the novel, especially. I, I think it's uh, it has a lot of life, and uh, yeah. How about we end it there? So, yeah, let's start, let's wrap yeah. it up there. So this has been another installation of uh, your favorite Dream of the Red Chamber podcast. We are reading the stone. <laughs> The best podcast dedicated exclusively. <laughs> if you want to get in contact with us, uh, please do so. We, we love feedback. And uh, so check us out on Twitter at Rereading Stone. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Rereading The Stone. Uh, so until next time, bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>